Well, if you'd like to uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, Romans chapter 8. This morning we come to uh, the end of the uh, chapter, the last uh, eight or so verses. We're reading from verse 31 through to verse 39. Uh, If you don't have a uh, Bible with you, you can follow along with us on the uh, the screen behind me. So Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture that reminds us again of your incredible everlasting love towards us those people whom you have called, whom you have justified and whom you are in the process of sanctifying and who will one day you will glorify. Lord, we thank you for the fact that in our desperate need you acted in grace and mercy towards us, sending Jesus to give his life as a ransom for our sins in order that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, this is the greatest news the world could ever hear. It is the greatest blessing that any person could ever receive. And it is the greatest purpose for which any of us could live our lives for. As we open up this word together this morning, Please be our teacher by your Holy Spirit. Help us truths that are contained here in this passage. Not because, Lord, we want to have more knowledge, but as has already been prayed this morning, because we want to know you more. So help us in this task. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Three weeks ago we began this incredible chapter in Romans 8 and I said that if the chapters of the Bible were to be compared to mountain peaks then this chapter would have to be the Mount Everest of chapters in the Bible. 
And I think it's, it is that because it's due to the, the incredible loftiness and, and the grandeur of the truths that are contained here in this particular chapter of Romans. As we come then to the concluding of these verses, the concluding of this chapter, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be sort of, if you like, in our minds, our imaginations, travailing those last few meters, if you like, to the, to the summit, to the summit of, of, of this wonderful, uh, of this wonderful passage. Because what we're going to have before us in, in this morning is just the, uh, this Im, Im, immense, immense panoramic view, if you like, this glorious view set before us of the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glorious good news of what God has secured for us, for those, as I said, whom he foreknew and whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, those whom, those whom he called, those whom he justified, and those whom he glorified. Here in this passage this morning, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul uses a series of questions in which to really help uh, serve as a reminder for us of what it truly means to be a child of God, of what it truly means to be saved. In doing this, Paul, as I said, he sets out these questions, but but not only does he want us to see the incredible truths of what it means to be saved, but what he also wants to do is he wants to reassure us in our minds and in our hearts, for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, of the the the, the guarantee, if you like, the, uh, the the assurance of our salvation, the security of it. And that security is found, of course, only in God. The things which um, I often come across, not, I guess, not necessarily just in my own life, but with, uh, with other believers whom I talk to, is the, sometimes the, the incredible doubts that we can have as, as children of God as to whether or not, our, whether or not we truly are saved. wondered whether or not you truly are a child of God and you've wrestled with that because you see you know in your own life the the, the sin and the the struggles that, that that come with that and you and and and, and the, the the difficulties you have in having victory over over some of those sins in your life and we wonder you know we look at our own performance and our own kind of you know measuring up and and we see that we fall so far short of what God expects from us. And I'm sure there were times in the Apostle Paul's life that he may have felt the same way. But when he comes to this passage in Romans 8, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible chapter and it's a chapter which I want to encourage all of us that when we start to feel these things and we start to wrestle with these kinds of thoughts and, and that in our minds and in our hearts, we need to go back to this chapter over and over and over again because it's just another incredible reminder of the assurance and the security of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul begins this passage this morning with this question. He says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? That if, by the way, right at the beginning there, that if God is for us, there's no element of doubt in Paul's mind. In actual fact, it could be better, better translated, since God is for us, then who can be against us? That is the incredible truth that the apostle is is trying to get across here, you know, in this in this particular passage. That if that, that since God is for us, who can be against us? There is no doubt in the apostle's mind that in, that God is indeed for those whom have put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. 
One commentator actually alludes to the fact that Paul may have in mind here Psalm 56 and verse 9, which says, This I know God is for me. God is for me. In Psalm 56, the author speaks of the fact that he's surrounded by enemies, surrounded by enemies on all sides, taunted by his accusers. And as he wrestles with these things, he then is reminded of the incredible truth that God keeps count of his tossings. You know, those, those tossings in our hearts and in our minds and maybe even the physical tossings in bed at night as he tries to sleep and, and with all the worries and the concerns weighing down on this person, he says that God is aware of his tossings and keeps his tears in a bottle. God keeps our tears in a bottle? Those times where we have indeed poured out our tears because of the sadness and the sorrow and the pain and the hardship. And Psalms like that remind us of the incredible care of our God and that the, fact, the fact that God knows only too well our anguish and our suffering. He keeps count of our tossings and keeps his tears, keeps our tears in a bottle. And the psalmist says that in this I know. Last week we saw how much in the previous section of the chapter was focused on the groanings caused by suffering, didn't we? In times of difficulty, we can in fact question whether or not God really is on our side. But Christian, this morning we need to know and have no doubts whatsoever in our minds and in our hearts that although there may be many against us, there may be much against us, the great assurance that we have is that God himself is for us. Now recall passages in scripture where God says to his people, do not be afraid. And the reason he says do not be afraid is because I am with you. Do you remember those promises? Do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not fear for I am your God. I will fight for you, God says to his people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God reminds us. Of course, in each of those times that God says these things, his people are faced with some incredibly tough and difficult circumstances. In fact, sometimes seemingly impossible challenges. But in the midst of those, God assures them of his care. And so it needs then to, uh, for us to remember that when it comes to uh, opposition and difficulties that we need to be evaluating these things in light of God's grace and God's promises to us. Promises such as this, that if God is for us or since God is for us, who can be against us? Do you need to know that this morning? 
Do you really need to know in your heart this morning that God is for you? Does God want you to perhaps look on the opposition and the difficulties you are currently facing in your life? Not from the perspective of, of what you know, we, we, we think of you know, from a mind's point of view and, and see all the hardships and difficulties, but perhaps God wants to see, this, see them in a, perhaps a different light this morning in terms of the fact that we do not face those things alone. Perhaps God wants you to see that this morning, that God, God wants you to know that you are not alone in the midst of these things. And that God is on your side. You know, as I was preparing this this week, I immediately my mind went to uh, you know to uh, Numbers fourteen with, with with Caleb and Joshua. Remember, God had had uh, through Moses they'd sent out spies into the land. The people had come to the uh, the promised land after being rescued from slavery in Egypt. They'd come to the borders of the promised land. They sent in spies, 12 spies, to spy out the land to see if it was indeed just as God had promised. And, and all the spies came back and they said, you know what, it is exactly how God had promised. It is exactly what God said it would be like. But then 10 of the 12 said, but there are giants in the land. And it's too hard. And if we go in there, we're, gonna just, we're just going to be slaughtered. The challenges just seem completely impossible and overwhelming. And so we needn't even bother. And then Caleb and Joshua say this. Again, they use the word if, but you can read since. Since the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Perhaps as we face those challenges and difficulties in our own lives, in the, you know, in the, in the situations right now or the situations that may come in our lives, we need ourselves to, re- to be reminded of the attitude of Caleb and Joshua there as they stood on the, the, uh, the precipice of, of entering to enter into this, this glorious promised land of blessing that God had, had, had said that would be theirs. We need to be reminded again afresh of the fact that God himself is with us. And if God is with us, then who can be against us? Because God will never let us down. God will never let you down and nothing, as Paul writes here, nothing can defeat his purposes for us if we trust in him. Nothing whatsoever. Now can I say that God being on our side doesn't mean that we're the ones who then get to determine how that actually works out in practice. Because sometimes we can be like that. Sometimes we think that we can dictate to God how we want him to be on our side. And sometimes we could also, as, as Christians, sort of um, have a, a bit of a you know, superiority complex with them. Well, God's on my side and, and we're, you know, we're the people in the right and, and all you other people, you're in the wrong. So we're just going to look down on you and judge you and criticise you. That's not what God means when he says that he's on our side. 
Remember from last week we saw that God's purpose in saving us was to make us holy and to bring him glory. God is on our side for those purposes. find out why that is the case that God is on our side because in verse 32 he says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things if you want to know if God is truly on your side this morning you need look no further than the cross the cross of Jesus Christ Because here we see that God held nothing back, absolutely nothing back in order to save us, in order to pour out his blessings on us through Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Paul uses the same language here in this particular uh, in this particular verse as is used in the, the account of Abraham when Abraham was called to offer his son Isaac on the altar. God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to a place and there sacrifice him to me on the altar. And so Abraham had Isaac go with him and they, they came to a place and, and, and Abraham and Isaac left Abraham's servant behind and they went up the mountain and, and Isaac was carrying the wood for the, for the sacrifice. And, uh, and, and Isaac said to, to his father, Abraham, you know, where's, where's the sacrifice? We've got the wood and every, we've got everything here. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will, survive, God will provide. And they got to the place and, and Abraham must have tied up uh, uh, you know, Isaac and, and put him there on the altar and raised the knife above his chest. And just before he was to plunge it into his, his own son's heart, God stopped him through an angel. And he says, have not withheld your only son from me. And that's the picture we see of our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. That In Jesus Christ, God did not withhold anything back in order to save us, in order to save you from your sins. as I said we need look no further than the cross because on the cross we see that God withheld nothing he held nothing back in order to save you in order to bring you into his family in order to to shower you with his blessings and with his love that alone should just that alone should just cause us to worship God this morning And if God would not withhold his own son, then surely he will not deny us anything else that we need. Morning, there can be no question that God is for us. No question whatsoever. We never need doubt God's love if we have put our faith and trust in Christ.
Paul goes on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Plenty of voices around today, aren't there? Ready to accuse us and condemn us as Christians? Voices of the world which charge us with being intolerant which charge us with being self-righteous and, 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 and perhaps hypocrites. There are all kinds of voices that, that, you know, in, in our world today that will come in opposition towards us, that will bring charges against us. Even the, voices of, the voice of our own conscience reminds us of how great our sins are and can lead us to become discouraged in our faith. And, of course, there is also the ultimate accuser, Satan, whose name actually means accuser. When we think about it, there are plenty of, of voices that come that, can, that, that bring charges against those whom God has chosen. And you know what? Right, that when those things, those voices and, and those opposition, those, those opposing voices are levelled against us and those things are said about us, it's right and proper for us to assess whether or not those things are right. To assess our guilt, to see if there is anything we do need to confess. It's right that we should keep short accounts with God and with others. Sadly, we hold on to our grudges. Sadly, we hold on to the hurts and the pain. And that anger can be towards God and it can be towards his people. if we know ourselves that we have actually wronged or offended God or or brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to keep those short accounts. But having done that, though, God says we are not to dwell on our sin because that's where Satan wants to keep us. Satan wants to keep us there in that place where we continue to dwell on our sin and we continue to think that God will never love us, that God can never use us, and that God has washed his hands of us. That is what our enemy, Satan, wants to, wants to do to us in our lives. He wants us to stay there because he knows when we're in that place, then we are absolutely useless. But another apostle, the apostle John, writes to us in 1 John 1, 9, he says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That having you know, heard the accusations and, and honestly assessed them ourselves in our hearts to see whether or not there are things we need to confess and we do confess them and we, need, and we do put them right, then we need to remember that there is none then who can bring any charge against God's elect because it is God himself who justifies. That through faith in Jesus Christ, Christ himself has paid for your sins. God himself has, has made sure that every single sin of ours has been paid for in 
the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore there is no one that can bring any charges from then on because God says as the judge, I declare you not guilty anymore. Your sins have been paid for in Jesus and therefore you have been set free from that. You've been set free from the punishment of that. You've been set free from the condemnation of that and you are able to walk then in righteousness and a new, a, a new joy with God. But too many of us today, folks, as Christians, we just want to continue to live in our sin. We want to continue to live in the guilt and the condemnation. And because we live there, Satan has an absolute field day with us. And you know what? Yeah, confessing sin can be painful. And asking forgiveness from someone can be really, really hard. Because when you do that, you've actually got to admit that you were wrong. And we don't like to do that. But in forgiveness, there is, in, in confession and forgiveness, there is freedom. today that because of our sin it doesn't mean that God writes us off but in fact that God has paid for it in Christ and as we come to him in, in, in repentance and faith we can then confidently leave the, leave, leave the foot of the cross and go and walk into life knowing that our sins have been paid for that God says you are no longer guilty is God who justifies, who is to condemn no one because Jesus has died for our sins. Yes, for our sins we deserve to be condemned, but God instead condemned our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. We saw that back in Romans 8 and verse 3. But not only has Christ died for our sins, but it says that he has been raised. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? See, if Christ only died, then ultimately sin and death have not been defeated at all. We are still in our sins. But Paul makes clear that Christ was raised from the dead and this demonstrates that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to pay for our sins, that it was accepted by God as sufficient payment for our sins to actually take away God's wrath from us so that we can indeed have that forgiveness. Jesus' death was sufficient payment and a satisfactory basis for our justification with God. And having been raised, it says, Jesus now sits in the place of honour and authority at the right hand of God. It says, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, today, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father in that place of honour and authority and there he awaits the day where he will finally come back in all of his majesty and all of his glory and everyone, every knee will have to bow before God and before Jesus and confess that he is indeed Lord and Saviour. 
Hebrews 12, 10, sorry, Hebrews 10, 12 to 14 says this, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down, speaking of completed, he's completed his work, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, Jesus' very presence there in heaven before God is evidence of his completed work of paying for our sins, of his atonement. And it continues, his, his ongoing presence continues to secure for his people the benefits of his death, namely forgiveness, righteousness, adoption, a future glory. The fact that Jesus stands there or sits there at the right hand of God is the evidence enough that, that, that our sins have been completely wiped. His very presence intercedes for us before the Father. Takes us back again to the beginning of the chapter where Paul declares in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on and asks again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he brings forward a formidable list of adversaries or adversities that may have that, that people may possibly think have the potential to come between us and our relationship with Christ. He begins with trouble, hardship, and persecution. He says, "You know, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword?" That's a pretty impressive list, isn't it? You know, in times of difficulty and in times of hardship in our lives, there is a temptation to think that God's love is certainly not for us. That God does not love us. In fact, we might even consider it quite the opposite, that God is punishing us. That God hates us or is against us. Now, when we're lacking in our lives, famine or nakedness, When we have to go without, we can sometimes think that God is against us. If we're in danger of losing our lives, perhaps, you know, we don't necessarily face that here in this country at the the present time, which is a blessing, but others, other Christians around the world do right now. They're in very fear of their lives because of their faith in Christ. But sometimes in our own lives we can think that you know that that situations situations can seem so bad that we may as well not you know that may as well finish our lives. And in those times we can doubt God's love for us. But Paul says that even in these situations, in the midst of such challenges to our faith, they in no way diminish or deny the love God has for us. In fact, he goes on to say in all of these situations, not only does God continue to love us, but in fact he purposes to give us victory over them. Look at verse 37. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Paul actually makes up a word here in the original language. It's a word not used anywhere else in all the scripture. It actually means we are super conquerors. We are super conquerors. Let me read you a passage from 2 Corinthians 
I think this makes it you know, clearer than I could anyway. We have this treasure, that is the treasure of the gospel, the treasure, treasure of, of God living inside us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And we have this treasure to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, crushed. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. But we're not forsaken. Struck down. Yeah, we always carry around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. goes on to say so therefore we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away inner self is being renewed day by day no matter what's happening to the outside physical stuff God is at work in the inner and he's renewing us and he's transforming us and he's using these kind of situations in our lives in order to do that For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We need to keep our minds, folks, fixed on that which is unseen. The eternal the stuff that God is doing behind the scenes, right down deep in our hearts. You know, when it comes to precious metals, in order to purify precious metals, what have they got to do to them? They've got to put them through the furnace, haven't they? Been put through that furnace, what comes out at the end? That which is precious, that which is valuable. I am with you because nothing can can stop the purposes that I have for you you are that which is precious to God and although God is refining us through the fires he's doing it with the purpose in mind of producing something ultimately which is valuable which is glorious which is precious things we are more than conquerors we are super conquerors through him who loved us and then Paul steps finally onto the peak to the climax in verses 38 and 39 where he says that he is convinced that he is in fact not only become convinced but he actually remains convinced 
that there is this, this settled, rational conclusion which he has come to after carefully weighing up all of the evidence. He says that I am firmly convinced in my mind and in my heart that there is absolutely nothing that can remove us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's saying here is that our salvation in Christ is absolutely secure. His great love for us is not diminished in any way or terminated in any way by our failures or our shortcomings, by circumstances or by situations or by any power, be it physical or spiritual. And he lists a whole load of of, of things there in those verses. What Paul is wanting us to, to, to understand is that our salvation is grounded firmly in God's loving choice of us according to his plans put into place before the world was even made. And at a point in our lives, God called us according to his purpose. And that was he called us to, in order to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, to make us like him. God loved us so much, even while we were his enemies, so much that he gave up his only son to die for our sins. If God loved us when we were his enemies, then surely his love for us is not conditioned by our worthiness or our performance. We've got to get off that treadmill, folks. We cannot earn or deserve God's love, but God's love for us stems from who he is. And it's his commitment to this particular thing which is unshakable because God has promised and God never goes back on his promises. In fact, God always fulfills his promises. 100% guaranteed every single time. And God loves us and his purposes for you and for me are good. So can I finish with this? Contemplate that kind of love. When we sit down and we contemplate the incredible grace and mercy of God towards us, be like the Apostle Paul here because when he says, when he opens up this passage, he says, what then shall we say to these things? Or in other words, what can we say in the face of this? What is there left to say, in fact, Paul is saying? What is there left to say? There is nothing left to say. In fact, Paul is speechless. He's absolutely left speechless. He's saying, I have no more words. I have no more words to describe just how overcome I am with awe and gratitude towards God for his incredible love towards me as his child. In fact, this whole section, basically, you could consider it as a, as a, a whole hymn of praise, if you like, of, of a, a, the Christian's triumph song, this particular passage. And as we see again afresh this love that God has for us, be so moved 
right down to the very core of our being and our hearts this morning when we consider the love that God has for us. I don't know about you, but I think, you know, just a a mere acknowledgement of God, a token thanks or a token kind of prayer or, you know, that sort of thing every now and again to God, it doesn't cut it, does it? It just doesn't cut it. You sitting here in these seats this morning... Me standing here before you. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. I can help you to be more than a conqueror through all of the challenges and all the difficulties of your life if you'll just come and submit yourselves to me. Will you do that today? Will you come and bow before God in worship? Thanksgiving for all he's done for you in Jesus Christ. In a moment we're going to sing a beautiful song called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Musicians are going to invite them to come up now as we... today because of one particular line in this song some of you might be sort of just going through your minds now what, which one is that it's this it says love so amazing love so divine demands what it this morning don't go away thinking that God this morning we have contemplated your love not to go away this morning unmoved by that Help us not to go away this morning rejoicing 
in that. We thank you that nothing we can do to earn your love, but you give it to us freely in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Together, when I survey the wondrous cross.